Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all here safely uh, today and just be with Pastor Jesse and give him the words to speak tonight and just um, just help everyone really just get from the message tonight what they need to get. Um, and just bear amen. Amen. All right. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one off that back table. We are going to use it tonight. Hey, everybody that went to D-Now this weekend, have you caught up on sleep yet? No? <laughs> Again, like half and half of what's going on here. If you have caught up on sleep, that is awesome for you. If you have not caught up on sleep, then I feel your pain, and I'm glad you're still vertical right now. So, let me ask you another question. How many of you in here know someone that you would, please don't do that, that, that you would say is a hypocrite? Okay, oh, that, that did not feel good. Okay, all right. How many of you don't know what a hypocrite is? Okay, a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing, but then they do something different, okay? Like, my dad and I used to kind of get unhappy with each other because he would tell me to do something, and then he would do something different, and I would say something to him about that, and most of the time he would just look at me and say, be better than me. But he was being hypocritical. Now, how many of you in here have ever been a hypocrite? Where you say one thing and you do something else. Every person in this room should have their hand raised right now. Because we all are. Here's the reason I ask that. I know, hey, I'll give you a good example. I know I've been a hypocrite in my own house. For instance, has anybody in here ever gotten in trouble from your parents for talking with food in your mouth? A couple of you. Here's the deal. In my house, I get onto my kids all the time for talking with food in their mouth. But you know what I do on occasion? I talk with food in my mouth. What'd you say? Don't make me take your truck. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I would, I would only seriously do that. I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> but hey, we are, we're all guilty of being hypocrites. And, and a lot of times people will, will let that go because people understand what it means to be a hypocrite because we all are one at some point in time. So in certain areas of your life, it may not seem like a big deal. But when it comes to church and it comes to your relationship with God, being a hypocrite's a big deal. It's a big problem. In fact, that's exactly what we're learning about tonight as we step into where we left off last week as we jump into um, this book. Does anybody know what book we're in? Thank you. It's right there. As we jump into this book, that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Because the issue is this. There are a lot of people in this world. There are probably a lot of people in Camden County. Hey, listen closely. They don't want anything to do with church or God or Jesus because they think the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. People who will say they're supposed to live one way, and yet with their life, they deny what they say they believe. We've talked about that before, right? Your beliefs should change your actions. And there's a lot of people that have given the church the reputation, given Christians the reputation of being hypocrites. But here's the thing. When somebody says the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, you know what? Right. Because we all are, right? We're all hypocrites. Because every single one of us, if, if you sit here tonight and you say you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he has forgiven you of your sin, then you have said, I've identified with Jesus Christ, he has forgiven me, and I am pursuing him with every part of my life. 
And yet at some point in time, probably multiple times today, you had thoughts or said words or did actions that did not like the pursuit of Jesus in every area of your life. See, the church is full of hypocrites because we all are. And that's exactly what Paul is calling out tonight. Because the problem is, we're not supposed to be hypocrites. And that's a struggle that we will have until the day that we die to say, I'm pursuing Christ and to not pursue other things that honor us instead of him. In fact, Paul goes so far as to publicly call somebody out for being a hypocrite in the passage we're going to read tonight. We're picking up in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to go through 11, verses 11 through 21. But before we jump into it, let's go through the questions. Who wrote the book? Who did he write it to? Church or churches? Churches. Churches, that's right. Remember, it's to a group of churches. Why did he write it? There's false teaching creeping into the church. I skipped this one. When do we believe it was written? Around 49 to 54 AD. And what's the main theme of the book? I heard a whole lot of... Salvation by faith alone. I know more of you said it. I just couldn't understand it with everybody talking at the same time. So, as we jump into this, what we're going to find very quickly is that Paul is talking about this whole idea of hypocrisy. Specifically, Christians who say they follow Jesus and they trust in the gospel doing other things that don't reflect what Scripture tells us the gospel is. And he's going to get serious by calling somebody out. And it's going to be a name that you recognize. So I would ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And I'm going to ask Miss Logan Drawdy to come up here. Come on up, Logan. And she is going to read our passage for tonight. Man, what, what do you do to get a cheering section like that? Can we turn that wireless mic on? That's it, right there. You got it. Here we go. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when, he, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with them, with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of circumcision with these people who insisted to the necessary, necessi- wait, sorry, can't English, necessity of circumcision. As a result, other C- Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I saw them, they were not following the truth of the gospel message. I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you not trying to make all these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are not Jewish by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right by God and faith by Jesus Christ, not, not by obeying the law. As we believed in Christ Jesus, so that we might be, be right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. What me, what, what that mean, Christ? Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I revoke the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all, those, all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer who I am to live, but Christ who lives in me. 
So I live this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for I am keeping the law. For if I, for if keeping the law would make us right with God, then there is no need for Christ to die. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you that we can be here. Thank you that we can spend time in your word. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to learn from this tonight. Help us to understand who you called us to be as disciples of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can give it up for Logan. Hey, if, if you have never tried to stand in front of a group of people and read, um, it's a little nerve-wracking. So good job, Logan. All right, so right here. First of all, I want to make one comment. The, the passage, the scripture you're going to see up here on the screen, some of the words are just a little bit different than Logan. What, what that means is we've just got two different translations, but it's saying the exact same thing. It's just worded it a little bit differently. In fact, you'll notice it even uses a different name in that very first verse. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, who did Logan's Bible say it was? Peter. Peter. Okay. Do you realize that's the same person? So you've got Peter, he's also known as Cephas. You see that when Jesus starts talking to him. So when you hear me say the word Cephas, it's talking about Peter. It's the exact same guy. So it says right there in verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul talking. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So what Paul is doing right here is he is calling Peter out for Cephas. Whatever, I'm just going to call him Peter because that's what my mind is going to keep going to. He's calling him out for his own hypocrisy in the church. If you remember last week when we walked through verses 1 through 10, we found that, that Peter and Paul, even though they were preaching to two different people groups, you had Peter who was preaching to the Jewish people, you had Paul who was preaching to the, the uh, Gentile people, even though they were preaching to two different people, they were preaching the exact same gospel. And in verses 1 through 10, it tells us how they came together and they found that they were in agreement on what they were teaching, and yet now we seem to have a problem here. It's kind of abrupt that, Peter, uh, that Paul is confronting Peter, but what we find out right here is basically what Peter had done is he had gone to Antioch, and when he had gone to Antioch, he had started hanging out with the Gentile Christians, the people who were not Jewish by birth, and in doing so, he started eating meals with them. Now, the people who were Gentiles didn't have the same Jewish dietary restrictions that the Jews did. But one of the reasons probably that Peter started eating with them and not observing those Jewish rituals is because God had already given a vision to Peter. Peter had gone to see a man, Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And in that process, Cornelius put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But while he was there, Peter had a vision from God. And it's in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. I want you to pay attention to what happens in this vision. It says, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. 
This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So what has happened here is Peter has had this vision given to him by God because Jewish law, Jewish ritual, Jewish tradition, there were certain animals that were unclean. The Jewish people were not allowed to eat them because if they ate them, then they were unclean before God and they had to go through this whole ritualistic process to be considered spiritually clean again. So they avoided those animals altogether. But now with this vision that God has sent Peter, God has told Peter, hey, it's okay. You can eat these things that you weren't allowed to eat before. So now you've got Peter has gone to Antioch. He's had this vision from God, and Peter has heard from God, it's okay to eat the things that the Gentiles are eating because it doesn't make me unclean anymore. God has said it is okay. But then something happened. Then another group came in, some Jewish Christians, who still held to the old laws and the old traditions. And when they came in, all of a sudden, Peter stopped eating with the Gentile Christians, and he started eating with the Jewish Christians, which means he started adhering to all of their rules and all of their traditions. And what Peter is doing here is he's basically communicating to all of those Gentile Christians, hey, if you're a true Christian, you need to do all of this stuff. You see, remember, we talk about the main focus of this book is salvation by faith alone. It's not by works. It's not by ritual. It's not tradition or custom. And yet, Peter was communicating with his actions that that's exactly what it was by. And that's why Paul is calling him out here. Paul is saying, hey, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. He's pushing back on his actions because it could cause some of those Gentile Christians to believe that in order to really be a Christian, to really follow God, you've got to do all of these traditional law-abiding things as well. He's changing the way he's acting based on the people he's around. Sound familiar to anybody in your life? We've all been guilty about that at some point in time. I would just imagine. I know I have. We change the way we act depending on who's around and it becomes a problem when we say we're a Christian and we be changed the way that we behave depending on who's around. Look at what it says next in verse uh, 13 of Galatians 2. It says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. He's saying, hey, Peter's behavior, Peter's actions, not only was he doing the wrong thing, but now he's influenced other people to do the wrong thing. Man, how often are we guilty of acting that way? You know what will honor God. I know what will honor God. And we know what the right thing is to do to show people who God is. And yet what we do is we fear the judgment of the people around us. We fear their opinion. We fear what they're going to say about us and how it's going to change our reputation. So we slowly just succumb to what they're doing instead of what we know will honor God. I think we're all guilty of that at some point. And that's what he's calling out here. But Paul has the courage to do something that we often do not do. He steps up and he calls Peter out. A lot of times we don't call each other out, do we? As Christians, we don't say, hey, what are you doing? You're messing up. You're not honoring God because we don't want to look like we're judging people. Am I wrong? No. But we have to be careful in how we call people out. Because anybody at any point in time can call us out too. That's why scripture tells us over and over the things that we do, the way that we interact with each other as believers, it has to be done in love. 
It has to be done because we love the person. It has to be done because we love their walk with Christ and we want to see them grow and we want them to be encouraged. And that is exactly what Paul is doing with Peter right here. He says in verse 14, he says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul has seen Peter's hypocrisy. Basically, Peter has done this public thing where he's backed away from what he was doing and started doing something else, and it's confusing, and it's led other people into doing the same thing, and he goes after him. Do you think it was wrong for him to call him out publicly? Some say yes, some say no. Not necessarily, because what he had done was public. What he had done was leading other people astray. Now, we find in Scripture, um, it's in the book of Matthew, we actually see in Matthew where it says, hey, if you have a problem with another believer, you go to them individually. You go to them one-on-one, but that's when there's a problem just between you two, not when it's in front of everybody else. That's what's happening right here. So he calls him out. Paul takes this public approach. He may have done so. I don't know. This is speculation. He may have done so because of the potential public damage that was happening here. Because Peter's actions were clearly communicating something other than what Scripture says the gospel is. Because he changed what he was doing. Because he changed how he was eating and interacting with people. And if he changes the way they think, then he changes what they believe. Remember, your thinking guides your beliefs, which guides your actions. Do you follow me there? You see what's going on? And then it says right here in verse 15, what Paul does is he said, hey, this has gone down, so let's go back to the gospel again. And in verse 15, that's exactly what he does. He says in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul points out here that neither birth nor ritual will bring salvation. It's, it's kind of like this. You were born into your family, so you have certain privileges in your family that people outside your family don't have. For instance, you get to eat all the food your parents bring home, right? Not any stranger can walk into your house and do that, unless your parents invite them. You get to sleep in the bed that your parents have provided for you, right? Not any stranger can, unless they break into your house like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. They can't just come into your house and take a nap. All right? You get to convince your parents to drive you all over creation for all the things you want to do. And you know what? Most of the time, your parents do that, don't they? Most of the time, not all the time. You have privileges as their child because you are born into their family. But when it comes to faith, your parents' faith is not what saves you. It's not your heritage that makes you a Christian. Even if you have grown up in the church from the day you were born, even if you have gone to Awana and Vacation Bible School and youth group and all of these different things, and you can sing the songs and you can quote some verses, you have never experienced salvation if you are basing it on your parents' faith. There has to come a point in time where you understand the same way every one of us has to understand that we are sinners. 
that we are separated from God and there is nothing that we can do. That's the whole point of this passage. There is nothing that we can do to make our way to God on our own. We have to accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us where scripture tells us he took on sin who knew no sin. He became sin for us and took the punishment for our sin. And he died. And then three days later, he took his life back up when he walked out of a tomb. And he offers us forgiveness. Scripture says when we believe in him, when we confess that with our mouth, Scripture tells us we will be saved. That is salvation by faith alone. And that is what the entire book is about. Three times in this verse, or in these couple verses, he uses the same word or a variation of the word. Do you see what that word is? Who said it? Justified. Yeah, you got it. Way to kill Morgan. Good job. Three different times he uses this word justified. Justified means to be declared righteous before a perfect and holy God. Guess what? On our own, we will never be justified before God. We will never be declared righteous on our own. We will never be declared holy on our own because you and I will never be able to live a sinless life. That is the only way to be righteous and holy before God is to be sinless, to be perfect. And if you're like me, you know you're not because I know I'm certainly not because every one of us sins. Most of us have done it a whole bunch today even when we didn't realize we're doing it because we can't be perfect on our own. If we could, we would be declared righteous based on our own actions and guess what? We wouldn't need Jesus. But Paul makes it plainly clear that's impossible. We know that because even Paul writes about the struggle that he had in following the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7, he explains it as a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. He knows what he should do to follow God and to honor God and to show other people that he's pursuing God. And yet, this battle that wages within him, his flesh is pulling him in a different direction. His body, his mind, wants to pursue the things that are going to honor him, wants to pursue the pleasures of sin, and the Holy Spirit living in him wants to pursue God. And it's a war that wages within that man. And that is the same war that wages in the life of every single person that says they're a Christian. We struggle because we still want to sin, yet we know what God has called us to, and it's to live a life that honors him. That is why we know we cannot be righteous on our own. We cannot save ourselves from the eternal consequences of our own sin. We've got to have God act on our behalf, because it's by faith alone in the person and the work of Jesus Christ that we can be forgiven of our sin, and we can receive salvation. That's what Paul's talking about right there. And then he says this in verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Gresser. So you guys remember Paul likes to ask rhetorical questions, right? Y'all remember what a rhetorical question is? Yeah, one that he doesn't really expect an answer to because he turns around and he answers it right here immediately. He says, if, if Gentiles are sinners, okay, follow the logic. If Gentiles are sinners and Paul eats with Gentiles, 
then those traditionalist Jews, those, those Jewish Christians, could accuse Paul of being a sinner just like those Gentiles, right? Does that, does that track? You following the logic there? This is yes, no. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Some of y'all are doing that on a regular basis. Okay, so if that's the case, if Paul is a sinner and associates with sinners, eating with Gentiles, and yet he claims to be a Christian, he claims to be following Christ, then that same Christ that he claims must be okay with sin. You see the problem there? That's why he asks that question, and then he immediately answers it with, certainly not, because Jesus Christ is not on board with sin. Paul proclaims the exact opposite here. He says it's impossible for the sinless Son of God to be a servant of sin. He can't be around it. He, he doesn't approve of it. He doesn't endorse it because he's called us to something more. In other words, the people of accusing him of being like Gentile sinners are completely wrong. Paul is trying to prove to them that what they're saying is so ridiculous. And in verse 18, Paul puts it this way. He says, if those Jewish traditions and customs, if those are put on the Gentile believers, and you're telling them that they have to do all of those things and act like Jews, then what you're doing is you're basically wasting what Christ did. Because if Christ came to fulfill the law, if Christ came to tear down those barriers and those rituals and those traditions, and you're saying, no, now you have to uphold them, then you're rebuilding what Jesus Christ tore down. He says, that's not what we're here to do. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. And then in these last few verses, Paul gives us a picture of how we can fight this kind of hypocrisy in our own lives. Verse 19, he says, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. He says, through the law, through the word of God, through scripture, he became aware of what sin is, and it's through the word of God that you and I understand that we are sinners that none of us can live up to that holy, perfect, righteous standard that God has for our lives. And it's through the word of God that we see God's plan for our salvation. It's through the word of God that we see the plan of Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith and trust in him, Scripture tells us over and over, and he's going to talk about this later in this book, there's a freedom in pursuing Jesus that you have for the rest of your life. And that's something to be excited about. That's something to pursue. That's something to celebrate. And then he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a hypocrite. You simply need to pursue Jesus Christ. You need to live a life that, that honors him. The old self, the person that you were before that pursued sin, that found pleasure in sin, that was all about glorifying yourself, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, that person is dead. I've, I've heard somebody say it like this before. We're supposed to kill the corpse. Your old self is a dead corpse pursuing sin. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to bury that thing and pursue Jesus. That's what he's saying right here. That's how we avoid being a hypocrite. Paul is saying he now lives to honor Jesus, not himself. And that is what each and every one of us that have a relationship with Jesus Christ have the opportunity to do. 
every single day. And yes, it will be a struggle. Yes, Paul says in Romans 7, it is a battle. It is a war waging within you. But you have the Holy Spirit that lives within you and equips you and gives you the ability to pursue Christ, to dust yourself off, get up, and keep moving towards him. And then it says in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we could do it on our own, if we could do all of the right things to earn God's love and earn God's forgiveness, then what Jesus Christ did on the cross was a waste of time. What Paul is saying here is that's not the case. It wasn't a waste. It was and is the only way we can have a relationship with God. It is the only way we can be justified before a holy and righteous and perfect creator. Paul says in these last few verses that you and I are called to live for God through the power of Jesus working in us. So how does that help us not be a hypocrite? Stop worrying about what other people think. Stop worrying about their opinions about who Jesus is and live your life in a way that honors God in every arena of your life, no matter who is around. Because if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have the ability to pursue him, not your ability, but God working in you through the Holy Spirit to give you the want, the desire, the ability to pursue him on a daily basis. Stop worrying about what other people think. Stop being a hypocrite and start pursuing Jesus because he's the savior of your life and your eternity. There's a lot of people that are going to have opinions about your life and what you do and how you do it. But the opinion you need to be worried about and thinking about and concerned about above any and all of those is what does God's word say? What has God called me to do? What is going to honor God in this situation? What is going to show other people who Jesus is? Focus on that and you've got a pretty good chance of not being a hypocrite when it comes to your pursuit of Jesus. (laughs) And if that's something you struggle with, and I'm willing to bet we all do, and you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you in just a minute when we sing, you can write that down on one of those cards, drop it in this basket. These life group leaders in here will tell you they get your prayer cards every single week so that they can pray for you, so that I can pray for you. If that's a struggle for you, ask God to give you the will, the desire, the strength to pursue him in every situation, no matter who is around, to honor him with your life. Sound good? Y'all are quiet. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. God, help us. Help every one of us to live a life that honors you, Lord. Help us to be the, the person that we say we are, that we believe we are in every situation, Lord. God, help us to show people who you are because of who you've called us to be. God, I pray that you'll give us the strength to do that tonight and tomorrow and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.